Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with The Fall Guy. What are you doing later? Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Coming to you from Classic City, the capital of the Bulldog Nation, it's time for another edition of the podcast designed for the most die-hard Georgia fans in the country. Here are your hosts, Tyler and Curtis. What's up, guys? Welcome back to another edition of the Glory UGA Podcast. You guys know the drill. I'm your host, Tyler, and back with me today is my co-host, Curtis. And we were all set, guys. We were all set for part two of our spring practice primer series today. That's what we discussed over the weekend. That's what we prepared for. And that's what we were planning to roll with today. But then our guys went out and straight up dominated the NFL Combine. And were really the talk of the entire NFL over the weekend, which, of course, as you might imagine led to us getting a lot of DMs asking us to cover the Combine. So we're going to do that. We're calling an audible today, and we will be talking Georgia's domination of the 2022 NFL Combine. We aren't forgetting about the Spring Practice Primer Series. That's not going by the wayside. I'll just move that back. We'll get to it later this week. And also, just a little foreshadowing here, March 10th, 2021, Put it in your calendars. Thursday, March 10th, 2021 is going to be a very good and very necessary day for Georgia Athletics as that is the day that Tom Crean will almost certainly be relieved of his duties as Georgia's head basketball coach the day after our almost certain first round loss in the SEC tournament. So who knows? There might just maybe be a bonus basketball coaching hotboard episode up later in the week as well. I'm going to try to make that happen. I just got to see if I can clear the schedule and actually make it happen. All right, Curtis. So we had 14 players off of the 2021 National Championship team just absolutely blow up the NFL Combine over the weekend, which means we got a lot of guys to get through today. So let's go ahead and dive right in. And uh, let's open with the defense, man. I think that's the logical place to start. No slight to the offensive guys because we love them too. But look, we all know the 2021 team was, was obviously led by this historic level defense that we talked about all season long. And we're still talking about it. We probably will for years to come. And those guys took center stage yet again and were really the talk of the entire NFL Combine. So let's open there, Curtis. The guys, I got my list. Let me know if, if I'm missing somebody here that actually took part in at least some drills in some of the 40-yard dash, the vertical jump, whatever it might be. We got Jordan Davis, Devontae Wyatt, Trayvon Walker, uh, Chang Tindall, 
Quay Walker, and Lewis Seen. Does that sound about right to you, Kurt? Sounds about right, especially defensively that took part. Yeah. Yeah, yeah and I know that Kobe Dean was there, obviously, doing interviews, but to my knowledge, Curtis did not take part in the drills, right? Yeah, that's, I believe, so correct. Yeah, I think he's going to wait till pro day. So I know that we're going to get that question. Somebody's like, you didn't talk about N'Kobe Dean, the best player on the defense? We're like, no, we mentioned him, but he didn't really do anything other than, like, talk to teams, which is a big part of the process. But we don't have the measurables to sit here and talk about. So, Curtis, I know you're keeping up with it over the weekend. If you're looking at all these guys, Curtis, they all just dominated. They all opened eyes in their own ways. But of all those names I listed, again, we got Jordan Davis, Devontae Wyatt, Trayvon Walker, Chang Tindall, Quay Walker, and Lewis Seen closed things out yesterday. Of all those defensive players, who had the most impressive performance at the NFL Combine in Indianapolis? I mean, I think there's no question, realistically, that's Trayvon Walker. And I think it's because everyone knew he was athletic. I just don't think people realized how athletic he was. I mean, we saw it in spurts. I mean, not in spurts, but like him demonstrate the true athleticism he had where he was dropping back in coverage against Florida or just chasing down the guy against Alabama in the national championship game. Um, but just to see that the, the raw numbers really put into perspective, just how athletic he is. I think you can say that for all these guys. Like we, we talked about it all season curves, kept using the word fast, explosive, especially talking about this defense, but you're right. We didn't have the raw numbers. So to see the, like the raw data to back up what our eyes told us to back up what the eye test told us all season long it's uh, it's eye-opening in a totally different way because we all knew intellectually these guys are really fast. These guys are really athletic. These guys are really explosive. But then you see the numbers, you're like, oh, my God. Like, yeah, yeah, they really are. And Trayvon Walker, that's a great one to go with, Curtis. Four, five, one official 40-yard dash. Curtis just missed out in the 4-4 range. That was third in his position group. At 272 pounds, six foot five, 272 vertical jump, 35 and a half inches, broad jump, 10 feet, three inches, three cone drills. Honestly, for me, was maybe even more impressive than the 40 yard dash, especially considering the position that he plays. The three cone drill, I think, is more indicative of the things that he's not to be able to do on the defensive line. 6.89 the three cone drill, which is second in his position group, 20 yard shuttle, 4.32. So across the board, a lights out performance for Trayvon Walker. Curtis, this is a guy that coming into the NFL combine was getting talk as like maybe a guy that could slide into the to the late first round, maybe even find his way in the middle of the first round. After his performance at the NFL combine, Curtis, I know we're not NFL guys per se, but we, we know enough. We watch enough. We pay attention enough. What do you see Trayvon? Where do you see Trayvon Walker going? What's his range right now? I would be shocked if he's drafted anything but less than or higher than a 15th overall. I mean, I think what I tweeted out, I don't know if you saw this, and, and maybe it was just me being caught up in the moment, but Curtis, I, I like what are the odds Trayvon Walker just locked up a spot in the top 10 of the NFL draft? Oh, I think it's very likely. Uh, to me, that's where we're talking about right now. Now, here's the next step. So top 10, I think you and I are in agreement there. Very, very likely. Very great chance for Trayvon to get drafted in the top 10. What about the top five? Can he sneak inside the top five with those numbers? I don't think so, and I don't think it's because of anything of him, just as much as you're looking at need for some of these teams. Well, he's an interesting guy because you got to look at position-wise. So for us, he played the five-tech defensive end, right? He wasn't an – he played – on the edge-ish, 
but he wasn't one of our edge rushers. Now, and, and it's and that's tough to even say because there were packages and situations down in distances, especially once Adam Anderson went down with injury, where he certainly was an edge player. But that was like by definition what his position was. He was not like a true edge, like what you would consider our outside linebackers, a guy like Nolan Smith, the guy like Adam Anderson when he was healthy, those kind of guys. He wasn't that kind of guy. Because Jermaine Johnson, when he was here, also had a really good combine. He's getting drafted in the first round. He does. He didn't do that consistently at the college level. So I'm curious to see what teams think of like his fit. And obviously, it depends on what what scheme the team runs. Are they a four three? Are they a three four? So obviously, we're a base three four. Although we are extraordinarily rarely in our base three four anymore. Really, we're we're just a base nickel team. That's what basically every team is now with with the proliferation of the spread offense. But I think fit's going to come into it. And really, just there's a little bit of projection here. These these town evaluators, these scouts, these coaches. Do they see a guy that was a five-tech defensive end at the college level by definition? Do they see him being a guy that maybe in a 4-3 can slide out and play like a true 4-3 defensive end? If the answer is yes to that question, I think there's maybe an outside chance he could slide in the top five. I still think it's more likely he's outside the top five, somewhere between like six and ten. But I I mean, I, you can never say lock. I mean, you just don't know what goes on in meetings, although I, everything I've heard about Trayvon, he's a great dude. But I think there's a very strong chance he might have locked himself up a top 10 pick there. So you went with Walker. Uh, since you went with, with Trayvon Curse, I'm going to go a little bit of a different direction here. And there's a couple of numbers that really jumped out at me here. I, I You want to say Jordan Davis, right? At, at 341 yeah, I, pounds. Well, I actually have, my, my, I have, I have someone that was a sleeper, but I feel like you had to go with Trayvon, though, with the numbers he put up. Okay, I, I, I yeah, that, that's – entirely defensible and that's a great pick who is your sleeper i wonder if we have the same guy does he play the defensive backfield yeah my sleeper is lewis scene yeah totally that's the guy i was I, for me it was those are the three that popped out I mean, Devonte wyatt running a 477 which was the fastest at his position at 304 pounds that's eye-opening but it's like jordan davis yeah it wasn't a 477 jordan davis ran a 478 which was the second fastest he was just behind Devonte wyatt but oh he's like 35 40 pounds heavier than Devontae Wyatt. So there's that. Uh, and I, I mean, Ch- Channing Tindall with a 447, 30 among his, posi- his position group. That's impressive at 230 pounds. His, I mean, Channing Tindall, first, did you see his vertical jump? Uh, 43, wasn't it? Well, he was 42, 42 or 43. I think it was 42 was the official jump. That was the best vertical jump among any player in the entire NFL combine. That to me was like, whoa, okay, Channing Tindall. Then Quay Walker at 240 plus pounds during a 452. At that weight, I mean, that's that's impressive to me as well. But Lewis Sinkers, this is the guy that when you talked about our defense, we talked, I mean, we spend the entire season talking about all these players, Quay Walker, Channing Tindall, Trayvon Walker, Jordan Davis. I mean, we talk about these guys over and over and over again. And I'm not to say we not to say that we didn't talk about Lewis Seen, but we certainly didn't spend as much time talking about him. Is that fair to say? Oh, yeah, uh, completely. And I think that's why I put him in that position because the fact is. I don't. I mean, I didn't even know he was six two, let alone everything else he brought to the table. I mean, weighing in at six two, two hundred pounds. Because when you watch Lewis Seen, just the frame, he always looked kind of slight of frame, right? Like he would bring the wood. He did. Like remember that he? I mean, knocked out. I mean, she, I mean, remember that hit against um, Kyle Pitts in the, Kyle in the four Pitt. game in twenty twenty. I mean, yep. laid him, laid himself out, and laid Kyle Pitts out, knocked them, knocked them both out of the game. So you know he brings the wood. He always, they was always a willing tackler, a very good, solid tackler. 
but he always looked kind of slight of frame doing that. But I mean, coming at 6'2, I mean, he's still kind of lanky, but 6'2, 200 pounds, that's plenty big enough. And then to bust out the four, three, seven, 40 yard dash. Hurst, when you saw that number, what was your reaction? Um, just a lot of shock more than anything. I was sitting there like, whoo, oh my God, where did that come from? And look, Lewis always covered a lot of ground. And it's not that I ever thought Lewis was slow or unathletic. No, it's certainly not the case. I always thought he was a very strong player and a very athletic player. I mean, when he first got here, our coaches were raving about this guy before he even got a chance to really play. Remember Curtis since LSU in that in that national championship game in two, in 20, was that 2018, right? Or 2019? Yeah. The 20, 2018. 2019, 2019, 2019, sorry. That was the year before COVID. That was LSU National Championship season, right? So 2019. So when we played LSU, we went an entire different defensive scheme. We had six DBs basically in our base. We were running our dime packages, our base defense in that game. He was the extra DB that we brought in that game. I thought he looked, I mean, I know our defense didn't look great in that game because LSU was just historically good on offense that year. I thought he looked pretty good for first major action. He had played a little bit at times prior to that. Then he really came on the scene last year, and obviously this year had a really, really big year as well. So I wasn't surprised that he performed well, but for him to run a 4-3-7 40-yard dash, I cannot sit here with a straight face and tell you I saw that coming. Now, if he would have pulled out like a 4-4-5, 4 something like that, yeah, I'm like, okay, that sounds about right. But 4-3-7, no way on earth would I have predicted that. And Kurt, did you see the broad jump? Um, Yeah, 11-3, I think. I think 11 1 is what they have here. 11 1, that's right. Yeah, I know that. And and one thing was really annoying all weekend long, Curtis, is how they kept having to update like the official time. Guys would run these 40 yards dashes, supposed to be like laser time, and then they come back like hours later, a day later. Oh, the official time is this. You're like, oh, well, okay. Uh, So that was frustrating to follow, but it's all good. Broad jump 11 1 was the best at his position. So Lewis seen a guy that. We love, we appreciate, we value, talked about him at times. Didn't spend as much time talking about some of these other guys. That guy put on a freaking show in Indianapolis. And Curtis, did Lewis seen move into like first round contention with that performance? I mean, I think you have to look at him hard as probably one of the first safeties off the board after Kyle Hamilton. He, he I mean, look, measurables aren't everything. But he was better than Kyle Hamilton pretty much across the board of the combine. Do you think that factors into some of these scouts, or are they going to stick with those kind of preconceived notions? I think a lot of them will stick with the preconceived notions. Um, but that's what happens when, you know, when you see all this. You can actually see some people um, that change the narrative, but at the same time can maybe think, are they better? I mean, look at Chris Conley, that guy – tested out of the waters when he uh, went to the combine, but it didn't exactly translate. I mean, he still holds the record for highest vertical. Yeah. He, I mean, he tested out off the charts of the NFL combine. That's exactly right. But I mean, you're right. That can be everything, but you know, Curtis, you know, there are teams out there. There are scouts out there. There are coaches out there to get wowed by numbers. But here's the thing about Lewis scene. Lewis scene has the tape to back it up more so than, uh, than a guy like, like Chris did back in the day. You know what I mean? Like he's played at a really high level for us for a couple of years now. I've been a multi-year starter. So he has the he has the results there. I mean, you look at Kyle Hamilton, four, five, nine, that's two tenths of a second slower. I mean, his broad jump, I think, was like 10-9 compared to what Lewis. I mean, it was it's not like out of the it's not even it's not like it's out of the the range of where he was, but still Lewis was 
better essentially across the board than Kyle Hamilton. So, look, I don't know. Again, I don't follow the NFL as close as a lot of people do. I follow it close enough to be able to have an intelligent conversation about it. But I do know in following this coverage over the weekend that there were people out there on these shows, whether it's NFL Network, ESPN, whatever, whoever's covering it, we're talking about how Lewisine might have shot himself up to the top of the draft boards uh, at the safety position. We'll see how true that is, and there's still a pro, a pro day to go. We'll see. But I think – and I can't guarantee Lewisine's going to be in the first round, but I think he, it certainly would not be out of the question now, which if you would ask me prior to this weekend, Curtis, if I would have told you Lewisine's going to be a first-round draft pick, would you have taken me seriously? No, not at all. No, you said you're just being a homer, like, shut up. Like, what are you talking about? No, not going to happen. But now, with those numbers to go on with the tape, you're like, oh, maybe. Maybe that's not so outlandish after all. In fact, right now, I would probably predict Lewisine sneaks into the back end of the first round right now. And I could be wrong there. We'll see. Wouldn't surprise me. It's fair to be in the the early part. We saw it with someone like Tyson Campbell or Eric Stokes. I mean, not Campbell because he didn't, but right there. Yeah, with Stokes coming in, the Packers, like you didn't see the Packers taking Eric Stokes there. And it's like, oh, well, he's got the measurables. He's got the speed. Plus, he's got years of good tape. I think that's another different position. Well, and that's the thing, One, too, is people respect Kirby Smart and Muschamp and that. 100%. All of them. That's a, I think that's a big part of it, Curtis. That's a great point to make. I mean, you know, like, like Bill Belichick, you know, drafts a lot of Alabama players, right? And that's like, hey, you know, him and Saban go way back. He trusts Saban. But you can also say he's done, he's done that with some Georgia players as well. I think Kirby has a – like he doesn't have the Nick Saban reputation, not to that level, obviously. We know Nick Saban is going to go down as the greatest college football coach in history, and he should be until someone th- dethrones him consistently, and that hasn't happened yet and might not ever happen. But Kirby runs his program like that. I think – and obviously coming under the Saban tree – there's a lot of coaches that have a lot of respect for Kirby and you mentioned Will Muschamp and what we do defensively. So I think they might be more apt to reach on one of our guys potentially, although I don't even know if it's really a reach just to say Lewis seems a first rounder, but it certainly doesn't hurt. Uh, all right. I want to talk about Jordan Davis real quick, Kirk Curtis, because I know we kind of got off track there with Lewis seen. He, he was my sleeper too. I was curious if you were going to go the same guy I went with, but I still gotta go with Jordan Davis here, man. Six, six, 341 pounds pulls out a four, seven, eight, 40 yard dash fastest ever. For someone over 310 pounds. Fast as ever, Curtis. Historic level. Here we are again, talking about historic aspects of this defense yet again. Fastest ever for someone over 310 pounds. Second fastest among his position, position group this year. Was second by one one-hundredth of a second to his, his former teammate, Devontae Wyatt. To me, that's unbelievable. Broad jump, 10 feet, 3 inches Best among his position group at 341 pounds, 6'6", 341. Even the vertical jump, 32 at that size, he tested off the charts, Curtis, off the charts. And I know there was some talk about him coming into the combine that maybe he was sliding down draft boards, probably still going to stick in the first round, maybe the later first round. What do you think his performance did to how teams view him right now? I think he should be in the first round, and I think he will be. I think his biggest knock, realistically, is is he a three-down guy? Um, that's the, the question they're going to have to answer. But the fact is, his intangibles have always been there. I mean, go back to all the tape where he was chasing down the running backs on the backside, and you know it wasn't him always just stuffing the hole as much as it was. He was just making plays everywhere. Big-time motor. Big-time motor, man. And he, he's just a, such a – and he's like – you talk about – the NFL in your drafting plays. Kurt, did you see the Calvin Ridley news today? Yeah, I did. <laughs> I mean, I don't even want to get, I don't even going to go off on that tangent. Like Jesus Christ. Oh my God. So you have the Washington football team and the NFL covers that whole thing up yet. Calvin Ridley put up, put like, I think it was like $1,500 total 
on a couple parlays when he couldn't play, always bet for the Falcons, bet on them to win, and now he's suspended for the whole year, just whatever. But the character is an issue. I don't want to say, God, I didn't hate to bring that up, but that's not a character thing, really. I don't think so, but maybe some people think that is. But, Curtis, you know, especially with NFL's personal conduct policy over the years and how it's evolved, you have to be cognizant of things like this, right? You have to be. John Gruden, right? I know it's not a player you're drafting, but a coach you hire. You have to be cognizant of these things. That has to matter. And a, a guy like Jordan Davis, really all of our defenders, all the guys on our team really that are that are draft eligible that are coming out, but especially a guy like Jordan Davis who is as wholesome and as good of a dude as he is, just kind-hearted, light-hearted kind of guy. Curtis, you have to think that helps him to some degree, right? Oh, yeah. I think you feel safe. I mean, especially as you saw where teams got – well, teams. Uh, the Titans got screwed with Isaiah Wilson. Uh, That's yeah. not the case yeah. when it comes to Jordan Davis. No, that is – and that's still – I am pissed off. I mean, I first off, Isaiah Wilson, I hope he gets help, man. Clearly needs it, but I'm not happy with how he's representing our university right now. Not a great look. But I don't, we're not going to have to worry about that with a guy like Jordan Davis or Trayvon Walker or Chain Tindall or Quay Walker or Lewis Seen or Nicobe Dean or any of these guys. We'll get to the offensive guys. Shamari Salyer, George Pickens. I know people want to point to George and say immaturity. No, George works hard, man. George loves his team. George plays hard. He's grown up. He'll be better. James Cook, Zemir White, all those guys. They're all going to represent the G the right way. And I think that helps them also in their draft status too. I think that you have to factor that in. But Jordan Davis, I think, is a lock first rounder now if he wasn't already. I think Jordan Davis might be a lock first half of the draft now, Curtis. I think one of the things that also, we didn't mention the numbers here, but his his like short shuttle stuff and the drills. If you watch him go through the drills, the way he was bending the edge, and he didn't look worn out. You mentioned his endurance. Is he a three-down player? Because that's what teams really want to know. They don't want to spend a first-round draft pick on a guy that's only a two-down player. You don't have as much of an impact. But I think the, what he showed in those drills outside the 40-yard dash, outside the broad jump and vertical jump, I think that might help him the most. So what teams want to know is can you rush the passer at the NFL level? We know that you can eat up blocks, eat up space. We know you can do that. That's you demonstrated that at a profound level over the past couple of years. But can you rush a passer? Curtis, you and I have watched him every single game his entire career, gone back and watched these games multiple times. We know the answer to that is yes. We've seen him push the pocket. We've seen him chase guys down. We've seen that plenty of times. But the NFL level, they want to see that you can do that at the next level. And I think that's a fair thing to ask and you want to see. Is there evidence of that? I always felt the answer was yes. I think he proved that beyond a shadow of a doubt here with his performance at the NFL Combine. And that's why I say, Again, not an NFL expert, but that's why I say that he locked himself up a first half of the first round pick here in a, in a couple of months. What when is it? Like late April? It's like a month and a half. It's not even a couple of months. I never know when the date is until I ESPN puts it out. Yeah, like, we'll start seeing like crazy ads for it like two weeks leading up to it. So sometime late April ish, kind of maybe. I don't even know where it is this year. I know they're starting to move it around somewhere, somewhere in the United States of America, somewhere in the continental U.S. Uh, but we'll talk about that later on. Um, all right, anything else on the defensive guys? No, I think we – I mean, it, it's about what we expected except outside of just the impressive numbers. Yeah, we knew they were going to blow it up. I mean, Okay, last thing on the defense. I, I want to mention – so two linebackers, Chainton and Quay Walker, actually did some drills. Nicobe was there, did not go through the drills. We'll do those a pro day, I'm sure. Chain Tindall tested better than, than Quay across the board. Now, he's 11 pounds lighter, two inches shorter – but he had a faster 40-yard dash, not by that much, 4.47 to 4.52. To had a much better vertical jump, uh, 42 inches to 32 inches, and a better and a significantly better broad jump as well, 10 feet 9 inches to 10 feet 2 inches. 
Yeah, Quay Walker was a starter at inside linebacker for us really all year. I mean, you say it was a three-man rotation, but Quay was a starter. Quay's been a starter for two years. So why was it that Quay Walker was able to hold off a guy like Channing Tindall? Why didn't we see Channing Tindall play more if he's clearly a more athletic overall athlete? I think you have to look at everything. Just being the better athlete doesn't mean you're the better player. I mean, go back yeah. to realistically think back to um, – Nate McBride, he's probably been one of the best athletes outside of Roquan that we've had at the linebacker position, and he was a special teams guy the whole time. Yeah, 100%. That's what he was. And there's nothing wrong with being a special teams guy, but that's what that's what Nate was. Did you, you know what Nate's doing now, by the way? I would guess coaching or something, if no. I had to guess. Dude, he's, become an, uh, he's, tra- he's in training to be in a pit crew in NASCAR. I saw that, and I was like, What? Like I saw him, he was there. I saw him uh, at the parade here, like when we had the, the whole celebration at the national championship game. I saw him here in Athens, you know, just kind of walking around. And he I, he had like something to do with NASCAR. I was like, that's interesting. And I saw an interview with him afterwards, and he was talking about how he's trained to be a, like in a pit crew in NASCAR. And I was like, whoa, did not see that coming. So interesting. Apparently that's something that football players are like starting to do now. Interesting. But yeah, random, but that's what he's doing now. Um, but yeah, look, so Quay Walker's just a better player. Doesn't he was not as athletic, but he was close enough in athleticism, rangy enough. And I mean, look, Quay Walker, 241 pounds, running four or five, two inside linebacker. The guy can move. And honestly, I, I mean, I think that's probably about right for Quay Speed. I think he has another gear when you watch him play, like the acceleration and just the, the game speed. I think it might even be a little bit better than four or five, two, but that's what he put up. So it is what it is. Uh, but Quay was just more instinctive at that position. Channing had a tough times like reading meshes, he had a tough time reading where like reading pullers and those kind of things like things that inside linebackers have to be able to do he would hesitate you think back to the national championship game course he actually addressed this you remember the play where nicobe got all over him down there in the goal line yeah on that pass at the goal line yep yeah it's because he had multiple responsibilities there it was complex and he kind of hesitated he kind of overthought and you saw that from chain tindall i don't want to say consistently but more often you would like to just kind of even and he always made up for or often made up for because he's just so athletic but there was that sense of hesitation. We didn't always play as instinctively as some of these other guys did, not as decisively. Uh, so, yeah, I think that's why Quay ended up playing more. But Channing, I mean, I knew he was going to blow up the combine. I didn't see, you know, like best brought our best workers among all players, but I knew he would put himself in a really good position here and maybe like a, a second round guy, second, third round guy. No doubt about it. I don't, th- I don't think that either one's a f- like, I thought maybe Quay might have a chance to be a first rounder before the season, but. Abs like a four a four four type forty. I don't know if I see it. Like, do you see a chance either one of those guys sneaks in the first round? No, I'd be really shocked. Just not enough tape, especially for uh, Channing. Yeah. yeah, I mean, he's got the he's got the tape, but he doesn't have the measurables right now. I think that's what they want to see. We'll see what he does at pro day, though. I'm not gonna hold it. I'm not gonna say it's out of the question. Maybe he puts up better numbers at pro day. Possibly, we'll see. Uh, Channing, I think you're right. Doesn't you know he didn't play as much, but um. Maybe an outside chance. I don't see it. I think more high second round for probably both those guys. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. 
From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need a fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements, or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with Lips and Ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L-I-B-S-Y-N-Ads.com. All right, Curtis, let's move on here. So our defensive guys might have been the talk of the combine, but our offensive guys also represent, represented themselves and the university very well. I mean, honestly, it kind of reminded me a lot, a lot of just like the 2021 season in general. Like the defense gets all the publicity. The defense leads the charge. But our offense was quietly kind of just badass, but no one wanted to talk about it because they were just kind of overshadowed by just how dominant our defense was. So let's talk about some of these offensive guys first. We had George Pickens, obviously wide receiver, offensive lineman Jamari Salyer and Justin Schaefer. Then running back Zamir White and James Cook were the guys that were repping the offensive side of the ball. So, Chris, of those players, who had the most impressive performance from the offensive guys? Um, I have to go with um, Zamir White. All right, why Zamir? I just – certain things I didn't see him do. I didn't see him having a quicker 40 time than James Cook. Um, I feel like he – I mean, outside of George's 40-yard dash, I don't know if he did anything that could have surprised me. I mean, the guy's a star. Um, so right. that's – and I think that it was more to see from Zeus than anything. The 4-4 opened my eyes. I mean, 4-4 four, four flat. We're not talking about 4-4-8, four, 4-4-9. Four, 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 We're talking 4-4 four, four flat. We're pushing 4-3 range, which is elite speed. And we talked about it, Curtis. We always felt James Cook was more explosive than Zamir White was. Yet, Zeus comes in here and puts up the 4-4, four, four, the broad jump, 10-11 broad jump, whereas Cook puts in a 4-4-2. Four, four, I mean, it's right there. But 10-4 broad jump, uh, 33, and they're about the same vertical. And Zeus did this at 215 pounds, whereas Cook did it at 200 pounds. So were we just like completely off here in the in who was the more explosive running back? No, not at all. I mean, the thing I was talking to someone else about it. The thing that really it came down to was the fact that James Cook was able to get into the open more often than Zeus was because James Cook just had he has the better um, cutting ability, which is he's, a big he's a, difference he's a quick and better guy. vision. And I think, yeah. and I think that was the difference. James Cook, um, I always felt James Cook was like a, a mid to low 4-4 guy, and that proved to be correct. I did not see Zeus running a 4-4. I'm going to be honest with you, I didn't see it. I thought Zeus would run like maybe – Zeus is fast. I always knew that. Like if you get – when we saw it plenty of times, when Zeus got in the open and was just heading for the end zone, Zeus could move, man. So I wasn't surprised to see him put up a 4-4-ish 40, but 4-4 flat, that was surprising for me. Uh, I did not quite see that coming. But I and look, before the injuries, Curtis, before the ACL tears, I said back when we signed him, when we signed Zamir White, I felt his high school tape was as good of running back tape as I had seen coming out of high school. And like, I haven't watched every running back tape of all time, especially among the guys that we have been recruiting. And we recruited a lot of really good running backs, guys. RBU, we know that. His was as good as any tape I'd seen. Todd Gurley, for example, was one of the best players to ever play here, in my opinion. But his high school tape was not close to what Zamir White's high school tape was. 
I thought Zeus was an elite back from high school. Gets the injuries, obviously, sets him back. It took him a while to get back to that level, just like it did Nick Chubb. And Nick Chubb put up great numbers in the combine. But Nick Chubb coming back in 2016 after the injury, that first year back, was not the same Nick Chubb that we saw in 2017. He's not the same Nick Chubb that we see in the NFL right now. Different guy. It took him a little while. But Zeus has clearly gotten it back. And I always knew he was fast. I just didn't know he was that fast. I felt he was explosive. He always had the ability to do that. But where I, I will agree with you, Curtis, I think James Cook, where he was superior to Zeus, and why the reason I said he was more dangerous and at times that year said he was our best running back, is because he had that elusiveness, that lateral agility, that twitchiness that Zamir just never really showed. I also felt James had better vision than Zeus did, which I will still maintain. Although I think Zamir got better with that as he went on, um, as the season progressed and got more and more touches. But I, I, I still think that James, I would say I think James has that suddenness, that acceleration, maybe a little bit, a t- maybe a little bit of a gear higher than Zamir's. But you know, forty yard dash, Zamir was clearly faster, not by much, but a little bit there. But I'm just really happy for Zeus because what an incredible dude had to fight back through so much, not just with the injuries in college, but through his entire life, fighting the cleft palate, the surgeries, all of that. This guy's a fighter, man, and I am so extraordinarily happy for him. And I thought James put up a, a, some great numbers as well. Also, Obviously beat his brother Dalvin, which he was going for, but beat his 40-yard dash number. So it was great to see both those guys pull up big numbers. Uh, for me, Curtis, you mentioned him. Uh, since you went with Zeus, I'm going to go I'm gonna go with, with George Pickens. And it's not that I didn't know that George could jump. It wasn't that I didn't, you know, I knew we knew all those things. But Curtis, you and I, when we talked about George Pickens in the past, one of the things that we've always said, kind of a qualifier, is like, you know, George is awesome. He's not a burner, but he's awesome. But at 447, Curtis, were we wrong? Is George Pickens a burner? I mean, it was definitely not something I saw coming. I mean, everyone always tried to say that he was like a 4546 guy. That's what he was in high school. And I think it's also more impressive coming off the ACL tear. Yeah, but it's so interesting. You're seeing some of these guys, maybe not right off the bat, but as they come back from these ACL tears now more and more, it seems like not all of them, but a lot of them are coming back better and stronger and faster than ever before. I don't, and like I'm not a doctor, I don't know what exactly is going on with the surgery. I mean, it's, it doesn't shock me though. It doesn't shock me. You see it with baseball. Guys are throwing harder than they were when they're coming back from Tommy John. Well, I think part of it, look again, not a doctor, <laughs> put that out there. Is some of it, Curtis, a big part of it that they're spending so much time in the rehab process strengthening those muscles and making them stronger? Does that help you when you come back with your speed? I don't think it hurts. I mean, yeah, I, I, again, not a doctor, don't know, but like, doesn't hurt. Yeah, I think that's the, the way I look at it. It doesn't hurt there. But I was impressed. I was very impressed with George Pickens. Guys, this is a dude in high school at camps, whereas I think, yeah, and look, some of these are later times, some are, you know, it's hit or miss with some of these high school camps, you know, these recruiting camps. But Nike, our uh, ESPN had him at one, I think like a 4-7 range at one of the camps that he ran. I think I saw him another one when he was in high school. I remember, I can't remember the exact number. It was a 4-5 range, like a mid to high 4-5 range. This guy got faster. I think it's true that when he got to college, he was not a burner. That's not what he did. It was great hands, body control, leaping ability, all those kind of things, which made him elite. But in plenty good enough speed. I mean, you think about it, Curse. We see him make these spectacular catches. That was his trademark, right? But to make those spectacular catches, sometimes he was covered. But a lot of times, the big catches he made this year, like in you know in the playoffs, those leaping catches, his very first catch. I mean, his first catch and his last catch, laying out you know full steam for the ball. Uh, just unbelievable stuff from George. But he's open in those plays. He has to have the speed to get open and to be able to to go on top of the defenders and make those plays. He always had the speed, but I just I never saw him as like a four four guy. But give him credit. He absolutely was. He proved me wrong there. And to me, that was 
very eye-opening on the offensive side of the ball because now we know what he can do with his hands, with his leaping abilities, his ability to, to go up and win the contested battle. We know those things, the body control, all that. 6'3", 195 pounds, and he throws down a, a 4'440". George Pickens, Curtis, did he put himself into first-round contention? Nobody was talking about him possibly in the first round coming into the, uh, into Indianapolis. Is he now in that conversation? I don't think he is, but I wish he was. I mean, definitely wish he was. I don't know, man. Like, I just, I just, I mean, you weren't, you weren't hearing it. You were hearing him late second, if anything, before. So yeah. I just don't see him jumping up that much. Well, here's the thing, like with George, like there's tape for George in college, but not a ton. Like he's never really had like a full season as the guy. And I was really hoping that would be this year for him. Like it sucks for George. Because if George would have been healthy this entire year, Curtis, George is a first round draft pick. Are you with me on that? Yeah, I do agree with that. He's the first round of talent. But it's the, you know, and it's becoming more and more common where guys get injured and they still get drafted high. That's true. But he, I mean, he came back against Tech in the regular season finale and made a, a minimal impact. I think it's fair to say, just didn't get many opportunities, but none of our receivers really did because that's just not what our offense did this year. But I don't know. There's the injury, the lack of playing time this year, coming back as late as he did. And I don't know if he has enough tape to where it's going to entice somebody to draft him in the first round. I think they're going to be able to get him in the second round, mid to early second round, potentially. I do think he helped himself, though, right? Oh, yeah. I agree with that. Yeah, I think he definitely helped himself and put himself at least like in contention to maybe have somebody take a take a flyer on late first round. If, that, if it's a need-based thing, maybe. I still think maybe early second round would be more likely for George. But he certainly helped himself, and I'm very excited for him as well. Um, offensive lineman Curtis, Jamari Salyer, Justin Schaefer. Um, I'm sure you're not surprised. Justin Schaefer did not blow everyone away. Among all of our players, I'd say he was the least impressive. How surprised were you to see that? Um, not very. I mean, realistically, I had to tee you up against there. him. I know you, just... you spent the past three years bashing him. Well, so I, I mean, even then, this is more of like this is not what he his on the field product. Um, the combine realistically is something completely separate. Um, but it shows yeah. that I mean, sometimes I think the leverage ability may have also been his speed. It's, he let people get under him. Um, he just It just doesn't shock me. He just spent too much time on the ground, man. He just leaned so much and run, in the run blocking. He would lean on guys, and so when they would move out of the way, he would lose his balance and fall on the ground like a dead fish, as we've said m- multiple times on this show. The season's over. He, we don't want to bash him anymore, but I wasn't, I wasn't shocked, needless to say, right, at that. Uh, Jamari Salyer, 31 yeah, reps on the bench press, second among offensive linemen. Surprising to you? Not really, because the one thing that we've always said about Jamari, our, uh, you know, God bless him, is his T Rex arms, and that's what's going to help someone in the bench press. You know, his arms actually measure longer than I thought. Thirty three and five. They, they were longer than I thought, but realistically, compared to other people, like, compared to like your to prototypical left tackle, yes, yeah, still not quite at that yeah. level. Fair, yeah, fair. But Jamari's got. I mean, I'm not surprised at all by the bench press. I mean, he's got powerful hands. Always had a powerful punch. Um, this is I mean, you go back to when he's throwing. Um, remember the orange ball he just throw or uh, just shoves yeah. Hutchinson into the yeah. ground. I mean, you just see the, punch, the bird strength that he has. Yeah, yes, that that didn't shock me. And that's why Curtis. That's why I, one of the reasons I, the main reason honestly, why I was always saying I felt Jamar was a better interior guy. His body was built to be an interior player, and the strength just made him a mauler on the inside. And I think we sh- we saw that in the national championship game. It worked out really well. But obviously, we just didn't trust Broderick most of the year when we felt we were stronger with Salyer there and inexplicably with Warren Erickson at guard, which, I, I, <laughs> hey, we won a national title. So, 
it worked, I guess, but yeah, uh, I don't know. But I think he's a guard at the next level, right? Yeah, I agree. You know, he, he has the the versatility to slide out needed, but I think he's a he's a guard. He's a guard at the next level, which we said all year long. Kurt. You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements, or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with Lips and Ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L I B S Y N ads.com. You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements, or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with Lips and Ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L I B S Y N ads.com. All right, a couple things to wrap it up here, Curtis. Now, talk about offense and defense. So, who do you think of all the players, all of them, offense, defense, who helped themselves the most with their performance in Indianapolis? I think Lewis Seen did. Um, I think he was the one person that I actually really hadn't heard him. I feel like he hadn't gotten enough love of being high in the draft at all. And that's even second or third round, realistically, it felt like. And feel like he earned some of that yeah great call I me mean, lewis scene wasn't even really on the radar as a guy that anyone was even like faintly mentioning as a first round draft pick possible or possibility like you wouldn't even think like, even second round like, no one's even talking about him right curse i mean all these guys you're, you're talking about nicobe dean you're talking about jordan davis and trayvon walker and and the running backs all these guys and like lewis scene just got lost in the shuffle well, lewis scene is no longer lost in the shuffle he's the right answer curse i totally agree with you again Four, three, seven, 40 yard dash. Didn't see that one coming. Best broad jump at his position group, 11 feet, one inches. I mean, I think you make an argument now, and it depends on what you put value in and what you don't put as much value in. If you're a scout, different teams place values differently. But I think in some boards, he might now be the number one safety, especially with the tape he has. I think he helped himself. I think he's got a shot. To be a first round draft pick, I'm not going to guarantee it right now. But for a guy who wasn't really on the radar, that if I would have said that last weekend, you would have called me crazy, called me a homer. Now I can say with a straight face, and you go, oh, yeah, maybe. Who knows? We'll see. And like, at least consider it a possibility. I think he clearly helped himself the most out of all these guys. And they all helped themselves, but I think he helped himself the most. Uh, all right, Kurt, who gets drafted the highest? We'll talk more about this as we get closer and closer to the draft. But right now, after. The uh, NFL Combine in Indianapolis. Which of these guys gets drafted the highest? Uh, I think it's Trevon Walker. Yeah, I think you're right here, man. I think you're right. I think Trevon Walker, higher than Jordan Davis, right, at this point? Yeah, I think the only person realistically, in my opinion, that could challenge him would be um, N'Kobe Dean. Yeah, Nakobe. Obviously, we're not talking much about Nakobe because we didn't see him put up any numbers. But I mean, if you look at some of the mock drafts, Nakobe has been sliding a little bit. He's, I mean, he'll obviously test out at at, a, at our pro day here probably next month. But he's been dropping on some. They're still in the first round, but dropping, you know, maybe the the back half of the first round on some of these mock drafts. And I'm all obviously there'll be more and more mock drafts. Those things will change. But yeah, I mean, maybe Nakobe could take could get drafted higher. But I think with the performance that Trayvon put on and the fact that he is an edge player, which that's a premium position in the NFL, I think that's probably the right answer, Curtis. I think I'd go with him as well. 
All right, give me a number here. How many first-round draft picks do we have? For years and years and years, we've seen Alabama and even LSU at times fall in that 2019 title. Go with like upwards, like close to double-digit first-round draft picks. Obviously not that many, but it felt that way. How many guys do we get drafted in the first round this year? I think the safe bet's four, but I could easily see five with Lewis Seam working his way up. Who are the safe bets going in the first round? Um, I feel like Trevon, Nakobe, um, Devontae Wyatt, I think, has worked himself into it, and then um, Jordan Davis. All right. So you think four solid guys and potentially all the defensive side. Yeah. Well, I mean, realistically, our defense was generational compared to our offense was good, but. Yeah. Yeah. I think the only guy on offense, well, does Jamari have a chance to slide in the first round? I don't think so. I think there's not a lot of need on that position. If, if they seem as a guard, maybe the position versatility helps him. I do. I agree. I think if somebody takes him the first round, it's a little bit of a reach. I think it's a guy you can get in the early to mid, maybe late second round. I think that's more likely for him. I think the guy with the best chance on the offensive side of the ball to get drafted in the first round is Pickens. But like we said earlier, I don't, I still would lean towards him being a high to mid second round pick right now. I wouldn't be stunned if he got the late first round. We've seen crazier things happen. Because receiver is a big deal, right? I mean, receiver is something that people are looking for now, especially with how football has become, especially the NFL has become all about the passing game. I mean, if a team runs the ball 15, 20 times, like, huh, they ran the ball that much? So I, I wouldn't be stunned if he found himself late in the first round, but I'd still lean second round for him right now. But I think you're right. Um, Carl, I'm going to go five. I think it's five. I think we have five defensive players who get drafted in the first round. I think you named them. Jordan Davis, Devontae Wyatt. Devontae towards the end of the first round, but put up a four seven seven at that weight. We know what kind of athleticism he has. I think he'll be a first-round draft pick. Uh, so Davis, Wyatt, Walker, Scene, and N'Kobe Dean. And I wish Tyndall or, or Quay would sneak in there, but right now I see them more second to third round-ish. I think maybe second for Quay. We'll see what Tyndall. Tyndall might have, I think Tyndall helped himself and moved in the second round. Coming into this weekend, I don't know if he was there. But yeah. That's a pretty big number, though, Curtis, right? We've been waiting for a haul like that in the first round. And uh, this, what does this do, Curtis, real quick before we get out of here? What does this do on the recruiting front? I think it helps a lot. I mean, even looking at the way our guys test out the combine, you see our the development, our strength conditioning program. Yeah, I want, I want to talk about that real quick, Curtis. So I, I do think it obviously helps recruiting when you when you hear all these guys, all these prognosticators, all these guys covering the combine, talking all weekend long about how Georgia's dominating the draft. What's George, what are they feeding the guys there at Georgia? That obviously helps. That's huge. And you can sell that. I mean, every positive quote you had from all these talking heads all weekend, if I'm Kirby Smart in the recruiting department, which I know this is what they're doing, I would type, type those up, plastering them all over the place, sending to all the recruits. You know they're doing. That's what you got to do. That's a big-time help. What did you learn big picture about our team, our program, our players, over the weekend? Um, I think the one thing that really stood out to me is you saw a lot of the brotherhood, and that's the one thing that they talked about this past year being the difference, and you kind of saw it even more there, like the way they were congratulating each other and the way they were with everything. You just saw it in action. I think really it just showed it was more than just lip service too. Like I never thought it was, but it just reinforced that. Yeah, it was really cool to see that like, Kobe you know, messing around with Shane Tindall and, and trying to – just punk him during his um, during his media availability. It was fun. It was good stuff. And you saw it with all of our guys. Jordan Davis is awesome. 
Pickens was great. Jamari Salyer calling out Alabama fan or no, it wasn't Alabama fans, the players, right? Who was it? Jamison Williams, who yeah. was like, I'm gonna fight and gotten hurt. Like, yeah, he was like, well, when the clock hit zero, we were the champs. You know what? We also had in- and he didn't even go like, hey, we had injuries too. He could have done that, but he's like, no, we won. We scored more points. Game over. Deal with it. Loved it. But for me, the biggest takeaway from this weekend, there's a couple things I would say. I think the first thing I would say is that stars matter. You know, when we talk about recruiting rankings, they do not always get it right. They don't. They they miss on a lot of these guys. There's guys I say every year when we're talking about the recruiting class, like, man, they really dropped the ball on this guy. This guy didn't go to camps. So they didn't. They did not rate him appropriately. That happens each and every year. There's so many high school athletes. That's that's the fact of the matter, guys. There's just so many high school athletes. It's really hard for a small group of guys that do these ratings and these rankings for each of these services. It's really hard for them to see them all and see enough of these guys to accurately rank all of them. And so that's why they do put a premium on guys that go to camp because that's where they see them. I get that. I understand that argument. And they do miss on a few guys. It happens every year. But by and large, at least the guys that are ranked as five stars, they nail it far more often than not. And if you look at the 14 guys that we had that represented Georgia at the NFL Combine in Indianapolis over the weekend, Five of those guys are former five stars. In fact, eight of them were former top 50 overall prospects. So more than half of those players that were there representing our university, our program, were former top 50 guys. And of course, they have to work hard in college. There's nothing guaranteed. Just because you're ranked as a five star, you're a top 50 guy, doesn't mean you're just guaranteed to be a massive success at the college level. There's no guarantee there. So you got to work hard. You got to put the time in, obviously. You also have to have the coaches who develop you. That's clearly a part of this. I'm going to get to that in a second. But the fact is, when you're one of those guys that's rated as a five-star, and I know there's five-star busts, they happen, but most of these guys tend to pan out more often than not. But you have the raw tools. You have a little bit of a head start on some of these other guys just based on the physical traits you bring to the table. So when you talk about how well Georgia recruits and you hear that over and over and over again, it matters. And that's why it always it was comical to me. I, I, I guess you could say it drove me crazy, but not really. I just kind of laughed it off. Like when Dan Mullen was the the bell of the ball for all those years, all these college football talking heads. Oh, he was a better coach, and that Florida has a better head coach than Georgia does, and he's superior to Kirby Smart. And, and all Kirby Smart can do is recruit. I'm like, wait a minute, guys. Let's just let's hold on here. All Kirby Smart can do is recruit. Well, that's a huge part of the job description for a college head co- head coach in the first place. But what that does is it means that Kirby Smart's going to pretty consistently have a more talented roster than his number one rival. And as I've always said, guys, I say it, see me like each and every week on this show, talent matters. Talent is the most important piece to success. Not the only piece, but in my mind, the most important piece to the puzzle. And that is never going to be a problem for us under Kirby Smart, just like it's never been a problem for Alabama under Nick Saban. And oh, so coincidentally, those teams are among the top teams in the country each and every year. Do they have great coaches and great programs, great organizations? Sure, that helps. But they also have the best players. That's why they're consistently number one, two, or three, somewhere in the top three in recruiting classes year in and year out. So recruiting matters. So if you're one of those guys that kind of rolls your eyes and doesn't actually click to list on the episodes where we're talking recruiting when you read the titles and you read the synopsis, you might want to rethink that. Because recruiting matters, stars matter, talent matters, and you saw it here firsthand in Indianapolis. And my second big picture takeaway here, Curtis, you mentioned it, my man. You mentioned Scott Sinclair, our director of strength and conditioning, 
That guy has been absolutely phenomenal for us. Maybe Kirby Smart's best hire. And I don't say that lightly. We talked about the past couple weeks, some of the great hires that Kirby Smart has made while he's been here in Athens. I mean, bringing Will Muschamp in as a support staff guy and seeing how we end up having to rely on him this year, obviously with Scott Cochran and his issues, Muschamp becomes a part of the staff, the on-field staff, now he's a coordinator. Kirby Smart has done incredible things hiring people within his organization. Todd Munkin's another fantastic hire. I love the guys that we brought in this year. Trey Scott has been a monster. We're talking about all these guys on the defensive line. Trey Scott deserves a ton of credit, and it's only up from here for us recruiting on the defensive line because we knew it took him a couple years to get things rolling. We knew it was going to be hard for him to do that because he couldn't sell to these five-star prospects that, hey, I put this guy in the league, I put that guy in the league. He didn't have that verifiable evidence, that empirical evidence they could look at. Now he's got that. He always could relate to the guys. He's always a great personality, a great recruiter and building relationships with these guys, which is a huge part of the job, but he couldn't point to the guys in the league. That ain't a problem anymore, man. So that lid has been shot to the moon. It does not exist anymore. He is going to recruit lights out on the defensive line. And so there were some people questioning that hire early on saying, hey, is this the right hire? This guy's have any experience. Well, looks, let's look how that's worked out. Todd Hartley is another guy just absolutely murdering it, recruiting tight ends, bringing those guys in this program and stockpiling that position group. Kirby's hired a lot of great guys. I love our staff. I mean, it's not just on-field guys, support staff guys as well, bringing in Buster Faulkner, getting him as an, he was a sitting offensive coordinator at a group of five school. You bring him in here as a support staff guy and you keep him in the program. That's huge. Those kind of things matter. Kirby's done a fantastic job. Jay Johnson, former OC, bring him in, former Power Five OC, bring him in when we made that run to the 2017 national title game. All these hires are great, but I think you can make a strong argument that Scott Sinclair has been the best hire Kirby Smart has made. Remember, guys, we were all up in arms. We thought it was going to be Scott Cochran. We wanted Scott Cochran so bad. We thought he was going to come when Kirby first came over in 2016, and he didn't. And then he hires Scott Cochran, and you read his background. You're like, okay, all right, I can see this maybe working out, but you weren't sure. It's TBD to be determined there. But man, oh my God, that TBD has been answered definitively. This guy is a rock star at his position, at his job. I mean, yes, most of these guys were obscenely talented when they came in. I came in. I'm not saying that they are. I'm not trying to suggest that. Again, eight of these guys, more than half of them, were top 50 recruits nationally. But they all got better. They all got bigger. They all got stronger. They all got faster. Again, I'll stand by what I said about George Pickens coming to high school. That guy was a mid four five guy at best. There were some camps he was in the four six four seven range. That guy just put out a four four seven. That's hard work on George's part. He deserves a lot of credit for that. But you cannot discount the job that not just Scott Sinclair, but the entire string staff have done in getting these guys ready to perform at this level at the NFL Combine. I mean, if it was one or two guys, okay, yeah, yeah, it's just coincidence. When it's every single one of these guys opening eyes, there's something going on there. And that something is happening within our strength and conditioning staff. And I love these guys. I hope to God we hold on. So I know we've had a little bit of attrition with some of those guys over the past couple of years, but the core of the staff is still here. And it's really Scott Sinclair. Scott Sinclair is still here. And I think that bodes very well for our program, our football organization moving into the future. But all right, guys, I think that does it for us today here on the Glory UJ podcast. I know we threw a little bit of a curveball at you guys. So if you were hoping for part two of our spring practice primer series today, I apologize for that. But we got a lot of interest over the weekend 
on the NFL Combine, so we want to make sure to cover that here. Just made sense to cover today in a timely fashion with it just happening over the weekend. The spring practice primer thing, that's something we can kind of move back a little bit. We don't have to do it on a set day, so we're just going to move it back, slide it back a couple days to later this week. We will get to that, and we'll uh, we'll finish that up next week leading into spring practice because it starts next week, guys. March 15th, it's almost here, just around the corner. So we got a lot of actual on-field football stuff to talk here over the next month or so, which for me, you guys know me, that is extraordinarily exciting. I cannot wait for that. So we'll get to that later on this week and into next week as well. And who knows, maybe possibly if we can make it happen, we'll have a little basketball coaching search talk later on this week as well. But thank you guys. I appreciate it. Thank you for listening. We always appreciate the support. For Curtis, I'm Tyler. And as always, go dogs.